Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself have a special guest on our program that we interview a musical rap artist, Flame. Uh, asking him about his journey out of Calvinism into Lutheranism, and also discussing a little bit about the Christian music scene. Please sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, joined with... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Brian Rickey. And, and Flame joins yeah. us for an interview on <laughs> on not only Christianity and his uh, his, I guess, journey, maybe... Out of yep. Calvinism into Lutheranism, yep. but also just yep. a little bit about the, the Christian music industry. So, uh, welcome to the show, Flame. Ah, thank you all for having me. Glad to be here. <laughs> That's great. So, we kind of just want to start off, would you just kind of tell us about yourself, uh, where sure. you're from, and about your family and your, and your family life? Yeah, absolutely. So, I am from St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. I grew up in the inner city, in the hood, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, but my, my family... Um, you know, as a youngster, continued to push me towards Christ, primarily my grandmother, who was the strongest pillar in my family, mm-hmm. I'd say, in terms of the faith. And uh, she just always made Jesus attractive to me as a kid, just sharing stories, Bible stories, personal stories and testimonies, as we say. And um, so really fast forward upon her passing. She was relatively young. She was only 55 years old, but oh, wow. she, she died from her fifth heart attack. Oh, the one wow. wow. Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty crazy that way. And at that point, I was getting into a lot of trouble in high school. Um, I got kicked out of my high school, had to transfer, go to a new one. On the way home from the orientation, I was in a tragic accident. I was hit three times by mm. an 18 wheeler. Oh my word! So I just—I mean, it was crazy. And uh, so when my grandmother died in that same space and time, I just started to ask the big questions: Why am I here? What's the purpose? And uh, the Lord sent me someone that invited me to a, a full gospel Baptist church, which is a blend between Pentecostals and Baptists. So mm. it's pretty strange. <laughs> <laughs> pretty strange yeah. in there. <laughs> uh, but uh, so that's kind of what the Lord used to reel me in. And uh, at 16 years old, I started to write Christian music and articulate my uh, my experience as a Christian, but as I was living it out in my own cultural background. Mm. So that's really how it started off for me. And um, so kudos to my grandmother for really planting those seeds that God eventually gave the increase to. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, when did you start to get involved in in hip hop? Yeah, so really, um, it was kind of by force. So when you grew up where I did, everyone's at least four out of five people raps. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so it was just the air that I breathed. And um, and as I got older, I wanted to contribute back that emotion, that feeling that I experienced as a kid through the music. So I started off just rapping about staying in school, you know, mm-hmm. having fun with my friends. And as you get older, you kind of, you know, step your foot in the waters of teenage life. And then those kind of things entered into my music. And for the most part, I really like rap because you can say a lot in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So mostly <laughs> you, you may have like the three and a half minute space in three verses, which is uh, typically made up of 16 bars or 16 measures. So you can learn a lot on one topic from one song. Mm. And that was the thing that really kind of drew me. It felt like an education almost. Kind of gave you a voice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really just social commentary. Like I think 
a lot of people say that the rappers kind of function as the poets of the day and just mm-hmm. articulating what they see in the world through these different cadences and rhyme patterns. So from that point on, uh, we've we've got the story of how you kind of <laughs> entered into the church. You're, you know, you got the Pentecostal Baptist beginnings <laughs> and your, yeah. your, your grandma kind of roping it into you. Uh, yeah. what, what led to the journey uh, that brought you to be the flame I think most people are familiar with, where you're mm-hmm. uh, considered a Calvinist rapper and now a, a Lutheran rapper. When did <laughs> that part of your faith really get, you know, kind of come to the fore of your life? Yeah, so once I started to do Christian rap, at first I thought I made it up. I was like, man, I'm pretty I'm pretty good. And then, <laughs> I think we say that to ourselves every day. <laughs> and then I found out there were guys who had, you know, done it years before I had. And so I had the opportunity to go on tour with a group of young guys uh, called Cross Movement. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, so they were, you know, probably a few years older than I was. So I spent two months on the road with them. And they just started to, you know, probe and ask me, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? And I was like... <laughs> yeah, there's right? nothing in the middle either, is there? You yeah, know? there's nothing in the middle. Just Calvin or Arminian. So I'm like, well, A, I've never heard of neither one of those guys. And uh, I don't see how they're relevant to my life because I follow <laughs> Jesus. And uh, so over a two-month period, they just started to expose me more to church history. So I really thought it was the Bible days, Billy Graham, and then us. I didn't really have (laughs) (laughs) that. That was my scope of things. So they really helped me to think through some of, you know, what church history has, you know, brought. And it wasn't until later that um, I was exposed to Lutheran thought, which is interesting because Mm -hmm. Luther was the figure that got me excited about the reformation mm. but then it's it's kind of like the bondage of the will and then we're off we just move quickly past luther mm-hmm. in the in the calvinistic circles so i really liked them i just thought i understood them so i thought him and calvin were pretty much synonymous and um so a- after 18 years of understanding the scriptures through calvinistic ex- exegesis at least mm-hmm. on the reformed baptist side um that's when i later started to Think more deeply about Luther, and that's a funny story too. <laughs> no, and I, I went to um, Sioux Falls Seminary in, in South Dakota, which was a um, uh, Baptist seminary for some of my credits, and there was okay. the same idea even within the the teachers and the instructors yeah. and the professors that they that both Luther and mm-hmm. Calvin came down on the same side of double predestination, and I uh, very yeah. politely sent a few of, of the. Uh, segments of the formula of Concord to my instructor and say, that's not the truth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. I love that because, you know, once I was exposed to Lutheran thought, you know, at at first I was scared. I was like, oh my goodness, like, God, please protect me. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Can I be saved and be a Lutheran? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. There's a bit of a crisis there. But then, um, so I started to kind of slow down and, and pay attention to the different use of terminology and some of the subtle nuances that I had probably taken for granted. And that's when really it was the doctrine of justification, because for me, that was sort of the doctrine that was dear to me that helped me move from some of the unhelpful things that came out of the sort of charismatic word of faith uh, paradigm. So for me, it was good to revisit justification afresh, but now contrasting luther with calvin Hmm. and that's when things really got stripped down to bear and i was forced to 
you know, engage it in a way that I just hadn't before because the contrast was very unique. And I found a strength from a Lutheran perspective hmm. that seemed to be more consistent with scripture, yep. which I, I think my sola scriptura that I got from Calvinism really helped serve me in mm. going where the scripture leads, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that principle was fixed in my mind. So I was like, I can't commit to the system mm-hmm. as much as I would like, because it's comfortable. I've already closed the circle in my mind, Yeah, but to have to open a circle back up, it's, that was the challenging part. And, um, but I, I'm grateful for it because now I'm like, Oh my goodness, I have to expose my fans who've been following me for 18 years. Have you, so, uh, what kind of, ex- uh, what, your fans, how have they responded? Man, well, first, initially, it was stunned silence. Crickets. Crickets. I remember when my project Extra Notes released, uh, there was just this silence. I mean, I think my fans that weren't particularly invested in Calvinism were more excited because it's hmm. in their minds, it sort of echoed things that were true for them, probably hmm. more from the Armenian standpoint. So to hear me champion things like Jesus dying for everyone, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. caused, caused them to celebrate because they hadn't heard me say it in 18 years. Um <laughs> Things like, um, you know, so I, th- I think they initially were the ones who were most excited. My Calvinistic fans were slowly beginning to say, hmm, this is interesting. And then, the, <laughs> <laughs> But the pushback almost was unanimously against Arminianism. So what that hmm. helped me to understand was maybe in an innocent way, most Calvinists, at least from the Reformed Baptist side, are not exposed to Lutheran mm-hmm. thought. Yeah, it wasn't like, yep. yeah, it wasn't staunch pushback as much as it was. Only thing I can think to argue against your stance is an Armenian stance. And then I'm, and as they continue to listen to the project and send me direct messages and comment on my comment sections. And I'm like, it's actually different than Armenianism, different mm, than Calvinism. Yeah, it's, different, it's, right? it's, it's its own position. Um, and I think that's where the best dialogue developed from people being able to slow down and see the distinctions rather than just reacting at first in stunned disagreement. Yeah, I, I think Lutherans have uh, been very efficient and tragically so at cutting ourselves <laughs> off from contributing mm-hmm. to that kind of mainstream Christian consciousness. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I've, I've, uh, I, I used to live in Oklahoma and and mm. would get the same question: Are you a Calvinist or are you a Minion? And <laughs> yeah. uh, when I'd say I was a Lutheran, uh, they would tell me they didn't even know Martin Luther King had a denomination. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about that is in um, oh, it's either the fifth or sixth track on Extra Nose, uh, yeah. you do a shout out to Joel Bierman. <laughs> and, um, I am I am a fellow student at Concordia. I'm doing uh, I'm doing my demon work there, my Doctor of Ministry, and I've had oh. Doctor Bierman for a couple quest for a couple classes. I want to yeah. know 
precisely what was his influence on this. I want to say one more thing before you answer that question. Jason is not a rap fan. And your album is the only album he has listened to front to back. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let's clear this up here. I, I may not be a fan, but I can drop some names here because I was fully immersed in 90s Christian contemporary music. Oh, no. So nice, I, nice. I, I know Nota Verbs. Okay, okay. I, I know Grits. Excellent. And, and I know Excellent. John Rubin. Wow, <laughs> so, yes. So, oh, that's awesome. But, I love it. But yeah, Dr. Bierman, um, I you know, listening to your 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 album and the lyrics, I can certainly see where an influence might come from, but I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth. What oh, role did he play? <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of a funny story. I'm gonna be a bit vulnerable here by saying my first my first Bierman class. He was so like staunchly Lutheran and unapologetically <laughs> so. I think I almost cried, bro. Like I think I almost I because the con like he was so, you know, persuasive in, in the contrast, but I it, it just never fell on my ears in that way. So I felt very vulnerable and I felt sorta again, it felt more like a a crisis in terms mm-hmm. of oh my gosh I, I feel stuck because i know what i believe i know why i believe it but i've never heard hmm. you know this hmm. opposing view in such a way so i literally was sort of <laughs> about to cry like i felt like weak <laughs> hmm. but uh and then so i was at a crossroads because after i completed my first course with Beerman, the next semester i had to sign up for classes again so I'm thinking, am I going to suffer underneath <laughs> this again? Like, why would I put myself through this? But I was so compelled by hmm. um, the strong systematics, but ultimately the the way he would expand on the scriptures and, and, and Luther's use of, you know, the Bible, as well as many other figures that I could not resist taking his class again. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was like, I'm either crazy or the Holy Spirit is working in me or maybe a little <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> but for me, it was it was him hammering away at the, the system. It was, yep. and I don't think anyone in the Calvinistic world would say that they're trying to follow a system. I, you know, I know that can sound sort of, you know, mean, but that's that's not what I'm trying to say. All I'm all I'm saying is there's a logical consistency mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. that feels great and and it's helpful in terms of trying to articulate your faith in a rational way in a world that already thinks that Christianity is irrational sometimes. Mm-hmm. So so for for me to continue to sit under Beerman's teachings and and understand where I may have bought into a system and shied away from some of the messiness of the Bible, shied away from some mm. of the paradox mm. and the tension mm-hmm. in the scripture. Yeah. I just, I wanted to explore that and I wanted to go there and see, God, have I missed anything over the 18 years? Because I don't want to be committed to a collection of people, a system of, uh, and style of thinking. I want to be committed to you and your yeah. word. Yeah. And that's ultimately you know, I think God sort of worked that humility in my heart because mm-hmm. it wasn't there on my own. It was hard heartedness, fear. And, and, and again, that that kind of sort of weak crisis moment that would have pushed me away, you know, had not God probably worked in my heart that type of humility to go where the scriptures would take me, even though it's kind of scary on the front end. <laughs> 
I really had a similar experience. I was kind of a theological mutt when I came mm-hmm. into seminary. And, <laughs> I get it. And um, when double predestination was always like a big thing for me. I just really mm. struggled with that doctrine. And I also yeah. struggled with the Armenian thing. And um, when I went to seminary, we were going through the formula of Concord on the election section. And I did. I went out of my car and I just, I just cried. And Man. just to have some clarity in that. And so I appreciate the vulnerability there because I'm telling you, when you finally find what embraces the mystery of Scripture, but yet yeah. explains it in a way that is is consistent with Scripture, there is like yeah. this relief and this yes. almost burden that's just like lifted from you. And it was such a freeing day. I I think I sat there for 15 minutes and just cried before I drove. <laughs> Bro, but, I totally get it. I totally get it. And I was, you know, a guy commented in my, you know, comment section on Facebook. And he was like, oh, okay, I get Lutherans now. You guys are obsessed with mystery, paradox, <laughs> non-clarity. Non- uh, the- we're basically <laughs> Gnostics. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But I love the point. I love the point you just made. It's not that. It's um, it's still consistent with Scripture. Mm-hmm. It's just allowing all of Scripture to speak. Uh, absolutely. You know, so it's not, oh, we're just obsessed with obscurity and ambiguity. It's no... Um, you know, we're allowing the Bible to say everything that God has revealed rather than cutting portions out or ignoring portions or devising some system to yeah. read into the text to make it all make sense for our yeah. purposes. See, and yeah. that's, that's how I looked at it. It's kind of like, you know, God gives us this jigsaw puzzle, but he doesn't give us every piece of the puzzle. And mm. a lot of times we want to cut out our own pieces and put it in there and just yeah. kind of make it yeah. up, you know, that's take good. that extra yeah. step that, that scripture doesn't take. And I think it's a dangerous thing to do. So, yeah, absolutely. Got, got to ask you, how does a former Calvinist find himself in Concordia? <laughs> oh, man, that is a funny story. So, uh, <laughs> it was sort of it's sort of a fluke. Um, a friend of mine who is one of my dearest, closest friends, he was at um, Golden Gate Seminary in California. And he was kind of entertaining the idea of moving back to St. Louis while at the same time, my wife and I were um, talking about moving back to St. Louis because at this point I was at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. So I had my sights set on the MDiv from Southern Seminary and the trajectory was to move into the PhD program. Mm. So my friend contacts me and says, hey, since we're both planning on moving back to St. Louis, uh, one of my professors suggested, he says, listen, If you're going back to St. Louis and you're considering seminary, he said, make sure you don't go anywhere but Concordia. So this is a Baptist professor who's insisting that my friend goes to Concordia. He's like they're they're, They have a superior um, understanding of church history that I think serves the church better. So make sure you go to Concordia. So my friend reaches out to me, tells me that. And I'm thinking like, well, I trust my friend. We've been friends forever. He's a history buff. He loves church history as well. So let me at least just check it out. So my wife and I, we kind of go visit the campus, just, you know, beautiful Germanic style architecture. (laughs) So that was just, you know, the learning environment seemed cool and swaggy while at the same time, (laughs) you know. So then we we set up a meeting just to kind of do a walkthrough. And uh, we did that, and we met with Dr. Bodie. Yeah, and he's uh, my advisor. Oh, is he? Oh yeah. man, I love Dr. It's so funny. So, so we're doing a walkthrough, 
And he's like, man, glad you're here. Um, you know, what, what made you have an interest in Concordia Seminary? And I told him the story I just told you guys. And I was like, in, in addition to that, I love the Reformation. I love the doctrines of grace. John Calvin is my favorite theologian. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just going on this long rant about Calvinism. Again, because I'm thinking him and Luther are, you know, like lockstep. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's just so gracious, like not cutting me off, not just <laughs> shutting me down. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he, you know, he tactfully eased in some of, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is great. I'm glad you're here. You know, we'll get you right. <laughs> but no, he, he was very patient with me. And, uh, and as I continued to learn, I was like, oh my goodness. I wonder what was Dr. Bodie thinking on that first day? that we did the walkthrough. So fast forward, when I graduated, I went to his office particularly to say, oh my gosh, this is nothing like what I thought on the first day when I entered. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> so I was like, you had to have been laughing on the inside the first day we met. So we shared a good laugh about that. And nice. um, so that's really how I was exposed to the school. And I'm, I'm just forever grateful for that Baptist professor at Golden hmm. uh, Gate Seminary. So okay. crazy story. Is it story. okay for me to yeah. say I'm grateful for him too? Can yeah. I say that? Yeah. Amen. Right. Yep. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. good. So so you went through this theological conversion, so to speak. Um, yeah. And that's obviously changed your life to the point where you've come out with this, uh, with your newest project, Extra Nose. And yeah. uh, would you just tell us and our listeners uh, about that project and and uh, and what's been happening with it? Yeah, absolutely. So Extranos is a, it's a short project. It's an EP. And it's really only five songs and like, a, you know, two interludes. But what I wanted to do was sort of give a cursory exposition of um, Luther's understanding of justification versus Calvin's or Calvinism, if you will. And so it was, to me, probably the safest entry point for most of my reform listeners, because they could at least on some level uh, find common ground so we can at least start the conversation. So on the tail end of the project, I did mention the sacramental application of, you know, God's grace, but just in passing. But I wanted to at least give a, you know, uh, a, a, a caption for what's to come. But for now, let's just think through the contrast of <laughs> the two different views of justification. And what I'm finding is, again, I, I think most people are sort of, uh, after they kind of got over the initial shock, and maybe, I don't know, maybe some sense of, not disappointment, but just, I don't know, whatever that kind of silence was, after, that, after they kind of got over that, I'm noticing that people are now asking a lot of questions about mm -hmm. Luther and Lutheranism. So I've been able to point people to, uh, you know, the Concordia Theology website and, you know, Maxwell, Dr. Maxwell video clips and Dr. Aaron Cole and Olowski. I've just been able to point people to just this wealth of resources. Another one of my um, influencers is a younger guy, younger theologian named uh, Dr. Jordan Cooper. Yep. And I've been able to point people his way, um, some of his, you know, helpful writings and his podcast. So I think what people are probably doing now is just a lot of digging, a lot of question asking, a lot mm -hmm. of digging. And then lastly, I'll say I'm really enjoying 
the direct messages and the comments that are saying, bro, this is very persuasive. I can't dismiss it. I don't fully agree with everything that you've articulated in this project, but I can't ignore it. And this is coming from a, a lot of pastors, uh, even seminary professors who was, who shall remain nameless. <laughs> but <laughs> but I've, I've gotten a lot of encouraging messages from them and uh, a lot of lay leaders who who are very interested in theology and, and helping serve the church in that way. So I, I, I love the honesty. I love when people are vulnerable and honest enough to say, this is challenging. I haven't considered it. And, um, you know, so that's that's the most rewarding thing that I'm experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one one last thing is there's a, a Presbyterian church in um, or Oak, Oakland that is now going through Luther's teaching on uh, two kinds of righteousness. They've been sending me screenshots. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, it's like really it's really encouraging. They've been sending me screenshots of, you know, things from Luther and, and uh, things from Concordia. So That's it's exciting great. to nice. see. Yeah. 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 Two KR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two KR. Exactly. Exactly. So and I also think people are using it as a resource, even in the Lutheran world. Yeah. I mean, a lot of school teachers are like, yeah, I have my confirmation know, yeah. kids listening yeah. to a couple of your right. songs. Yeah. Are you serious? No, oh, I did, man. Oh, Just yeah. we're talking about that. sanctification and the two kinds of righteousness, and we're in that part right now in yeah. confirmation. I'm like, man, listen to this song, and they're like, are are you kidding? I go, no, <laughs> we need to listen to this song, and yeah. so they are. They, yeah. that, that was their assignment this week was uh, was to listen to to a couple songs that. off your project, man. Wow, thank you so much. And you know, I love that because, in particular, talking about sanctification, a lot of people weren't mm-hmm. ready for that component, the third use of the law. Because mm-hmm. while I was at Boyce College, which is the undergrad of Southern Seminary, um, I did an independent study, and one of the books I had to read was like Five Views on Sanctification. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think one of the uh, the Lutheran view that was, you know, um, that was articulated in a book was more like your law gospel reductionist perspective. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. a lot of people were, were really critical and felt like Lutheranism didn't have much to say about, you know, Christian formation or, you know, what some call sanctification. And so I, I really appreciated um, the response from externals from people who noticed that, like, wow, this is even different than what I thought Lutherans thought about sanctification. You know, the caricature of Lutheranism that we had in our minds was that there wasn't really a priority for talk about you know, new obedience. Mm. And uh, so it's an unfortunate, you know, stereotype out there in many regards concerning what Luther and Lutheranism teaches. So I like that this project is sort of chiseling away at some of those misrepresentations of Lutheran thought. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please tune in next week as we complete our interview on part two of interviewing Christian rap artist Flame. God bless you and have a great week.